me to Philippians, the third chapter, the 13th verse. Because there are so many downloading the podcast, and because the CDs and the DVDs literally go all over the nation, I kind of want to set you up. Those that are listening, uh, you're not here this morning with us, kind of want to set you up what's happening today in the, in the, in the, on the platform. There's a young lady in a straitjacket. In a few minutes, she's going to share some things with you, and I wanted what she has to say. I wanted podcasts to hear, so that's why I'm prefacing that. In Philippians, the third chapter, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, Brethren, talking to the church, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not done yet. God's not finished with me. There's some more stuff I want to do in life. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, look at someone and say, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Forgetting those things which are behind. I reach forth and press towards the mark. There's a place that God wants you to dwell, the secret place, to the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. Look at somebody and say, that was then, this is now. I believe today, in the next few minutes, there's going to be a, an anointing that's going to fill this house. And God's going to come to where you are. I believe God's going to take some hurts and some pains and some fear and some apprehensions. If you'll allow him to take them. You're going to see in just a few minutes that we so, so many times hold on to those things that are hurtful because it's comfortable. We're comfortable with our pain. We're comfortable. It's a safe place to be. God does not want you to be comfortable with your pain. He, who the sun sets free, is free indeed. What? What? You act like you've never seen anyone like this before. <laughs> well, it's not easy for me, you know, being out here like this, wearing this thing. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking things could be different. It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> well, I don't want things to be different. That's right. I put myself in this. I'm wearing this because I want to. <laughs> okay, I know I sound insane and I look crazy, but I don't care. Call me crazy because at least like this, I'm protected. I'm safe. Like this, I don't have to be transparent or vulnerable. Like this, I get. This, I understand. <laughs> so fine. Maybe I'm crazy. But then again, Maybe you are too. Oh, come on. You ever been stuck? Caught? You ever couldn't let something go? You ever been trapped by your own pain? Trapped by your own emotions? You ever been so angry at someone or something? So mad that you just decide, you choose to stay angry instead of letting it go? And then that's it. Bam! You're caught. <laughs> Put this on. <laughs> yeah, happens that fast. I used to be different. I used to be free. <laughs> Why would I ever want to be free again? What, so I can walk around and get knocked down just to get back up and get knocked down again? <laughs> no, thank you. I am not a fan of pain and hurt, so you can be free. I'll stay this way. <gasps> yeah, but I did. I used to care. I used to love, <laughs> trust, but not anymore. Not ever again. Not after what they did. Oh, don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Stories. We all have stories. And the stories, they're all the same. Okay, sure, the details are different, but they're still stories. Stories that get us stuck, caught, unable to move on. My husband left me. Dad was never there. Betrayed, 
lied to, lied about. Mom was too drunk to notice. He died. She ran away. My prophecies never came true. My prayers are never answered. Life isn't fair. And this is my lot in life. <gasps> stories. My stories. I cling to them. I cling to them because they help me remember. They help me remember why I'm here, why I'm like this, and why I will never, can never let go. I remember them, so I'll remember how they hurt me. So I can remember how I loved, and that love was thrown back in my face. So yeah, do you get it? Do you understand now? Why would I ever want to be free? Why would I ever want to let go? Why would I allow myself? <laughs> you understand now? You understand now why I stay like this? <laughs> sure, I could be free, woo! <laughs> I could be free if I wanted to, but I won't. Not now, not ever. So call me crazy. <laughs> Call me crazy to my face. Call me crazy behind my back. I don't care. Yeah, I'm crazy. I don't care. Because I'm looking right back at you. And you're stuck too. Stuck in your emotional pain. Stuck in your anger. Stuck in your lot in life. The difference between you and me is you're pretending you're free. Now that's crazy. We could very easily leave this house right now and ponder what, what we just saw. The society is so good about telling us what's wrong with us. And society is so good about telling us why we are the way we are. But I have good news today. God wants to medicate you with the gospel. Gospel. Get it? Psychiatrists who cannot tell us what's wrong with us because there's no blood test that can confirm whether you're manic or whether you're bi or whether you're just crazy. So they practice on us. And they will put things in our body that can hurt us and wound us. And if it doesn't kill us and it doesn't work, then they practice with something else. But I believe today that God has some answers to some of our questions. And not just answers, but the ability to go where we have been, to feel that pain with us, to sort that pain out with us, and not necessarily give us an explanation why we got hurt, why there was abandonment, why there was a divorce, why there was a, a, a depression, but he will take what we are going through and say, if you'll allow me to carry this, I've got something better for you. God is a good God, and today he has something better for us. When I was a kid, you know, I was born quite young. One of my favorite commercials on television, I know that um, many of you cannot relate to black and white TV, but uh, one of my favorite commercials on television was a, a commercial where two little boys, probably, probably 10, 11 years old, are sitting at the breakfast table, and there's a box of life cereal, and there's a bowl of life cereal, and one boy looks at the other and says, you eat it. And his friend says, no, you eat it. They go back and forth. All of a sudden, this little guy about four years old walks in the room. And they said, hey, let's give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. And so Mikey walks up to the table, takes a big old spoon of life cereal, puts it in his mouth. Both boys are looking at him. And all of a sudden, Mikey breaks into a big smile and takes another bite. And one boy looks at the other and says, hey, he likes it. Mikey likes it. And they proceed to pour them some life cereal and, and eat, eat the life cereal. How many have seen that commercial? Well, that commercial is old. I mean, that commercial is so old that a few years ago, they revisited that commercial. 
and it was a breakfast scene, and there was this humongous bowl of light cereal sitting on the table, and these two huge weightlifter-looking kind of guys, big arms, big necks, big chests, tank tops, and one said to the other, said, you eat it. And his friend says back, no, you eat it. No, you eat it. Neither one will try it. All of a sudden, in the background, you hear this noise. <coughs> and in the door walks a giant of a man, six feet eight, 350 pounds of solid muscle, 22-inch arms, 41-inch neck, no, no neck, head just sits on his shoulders. One friend looks at him and says, hey, let's give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. Mikey walks up, picks the entire bowl up, pours entire contents in his mouth, and the guys say, hey, he likes it. Mikey likes it. Well, I realize today that Mikey is no longer that cute, cuddly little four-year-old. He has now grown into a giant of a man. Little things grow up. Little things become big things. Most of you know that I am an, an av avid fisherman. I tell people I don't fish, I catch. And about the time I get cocky, God will let me go three weeks without a single bite. But I remember in Southern California, which where I'm, where I'm from, there's a, a lake there. It's a famous lake. It's a world-famous lake. I believe right now the largest bass in the world has been caught in this lake, Castaic Lake, right above L.A. And uh, it's a lake where they have tournaments and, and people will come from miles away. Different countries even fly in to, to uh, fish some of these tournaments. And there was a particular window of opportunity where one, different ones were fishing a tournament. Nobody was catching anything. Bad weather. Everything was bad. No, no matter what they tried, nothing worked. And so they're very much surprised. One morning about 11 o'clock, 10, 30, 11, a little 10, 11, 12-year-old boy walks into the camp with a stringer full of bass. And he, immediately all the fishermen are surrounding him looking at, his, looking at these bass and they're, they're blown away. And, and one of them said, well, what, what part of the lake, you, what, what did you catch these on? And he said, I, I caught them on worms. I said, well, what color? I said, no, no real worms, but you've got to be careful. They'll bite you. And I said, what do you mean they'll bite you? And he held up a, 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 a container full of baby rattlesnakes he had found under a log on the way to the lake. A little boy died in the back of that ambulance that day, headed to the hospital, not realizing that little things can hurt. Little things can bite. Scorpion asked the turtle to carry him across the river. And the turtle said, no, if you get on my back, you'll, you'll sting me and we'll die. And the scorpion said, why would I do that? If I sting you and you die and drown, then I would drown. I wouldn't do that. So he convinced the turtle. He got on the turtle's back, got halfway across the river, and Pastor Price, he stung the turtle. And as they're sinking to their death, the turtle looks at him and said, why did you do that? It, it, it just killed me, killed you too. And the scorpion looked at him and said, I don't know. It's just what I do. We're in an environment today in the world that seems to reach out and hurt us with no explanation just because they can. The Bible says that man is born into this world, is born into a season of sin, is a short window. Our life is but a vapor. But while we're here, there are things that happen to us that are so painful and so hurtful that we don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. The depression moves in, the fear moves in, the disqualification moves in, and it's like we want to walk a victorious life. We want to be a type A personality. We want to be assertive. We want to be a, we want to be a sanguine. We want to be friendly and loving and caring. But it seems, seems like that things stack up against us to such a degree that we have no way to get out of the hole that we've fallen into. The ancient Persians had a custom, a law, that if a man committed murder, they tied the corpse to the murderer's back. And Jerry, everywhere he went, he was required to carry that corpse. The smell after three or four days became so horrendous that no one wanted to be around him. After a week or so, not just the smell, but the, the decay of that corpse would creep into his body. And he slowly would die a horrible, painful death. That's a gruesome story. But no more gruesome than what's going on here today in this house. There are some of you that have been wounded and hurt with the things of yesterday. And you're carrying it around on your shoulder. 
And everywhere you go, if opportunity allows you speak it and you remind yourself and you bring it up and you're constantly beating yourself up with the things of yesterday. And God says, I want you to forget the things which are behind and I want you to reach forth to the things which are before. There are things that have happened in your life that, yes, you have the right to, to, to write a book or have a movie charted after your life. Yes, you, you have that right. But if you, if you choose to stay in that, that place, if you to stay in that hurt and that pain, you will die miserable, hurt, lonely, and afraid. He said, I am come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. The promise of God are yea and amen. doesn't mean that we're immune from blisters doesn't mean we're immune from poison ivy. We're not even immune from, 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 what was the thing I was thinking? Um, chicken pox, measles. What does what what's the name have? Shingles. Yeah, not the shingles you put on your house, but you wake up in the morning, you got this. I mean, it's like life is not fair. Life never promised to be fair. Life is a journey which you will have opportunity to meet the creator of the ends of the earth and realize he's not just God, but he's your friend, and he would like to go home with you and live with you and help you walk through some of the dark places in your life. Before there was smear-proof ink, how many can relate? Seventh grade, high school, all my homework, everything I did was smeared. It was, it was, uh, it was horrible. No, 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 nobody gave me good grades for, I never got good grades for handwriting. I always got notes sent home, and uh, it was kind of embarrassing. And kind of, kind of lived first, first grade through sixth grade with messy handwriting. But in seventh grade, as I got to choose some of the classes that I wanted to be a part of, I chose typing. I just thought it'd be cool. I thought that would be a cool class. Well, when I went into the typing class, the typing teacher was young, unmarried, and she was gorgeous. And so I got a crush on the typing teacher. I did extra credit. I did extra homework. I got an A. In seventh grade, I typed about 90 words per minute with just three mistakes, which is pretty good. Those of you anything about typing. And I enjoyed that class so much that I took typing in eighth grade. I took typing in ninth grade. When I moved on to high school to 10th grade, I did all of my homework on a typewriter. I did all my, all, I went through two years of college with a typewriter, typing everything. I even typed trigonometry on a typewriter. I tried to figure that one out. You Facebook fans are trying to get smiley faces. I got trigonometry. But I remember that in, in, those, in those days of typing, that I had that little cheap uh, Smith Corona a uh, $29.95 typewriter that you bought and, and you hit the things and it, you know, and it was, and you know, if you, if you ever messed up, you, you had to put, take the paper out, you had to spell correct, and be, any ribbons, you, and you threw the paper away in the trash can and you started all over again. But something happened in my ninth grade year. We were invaded from England by all kinds of things. Animals, turtles, Hermits, hermits, rolling stones, the bugs, the beetles, the Dave Clark Five. Hello. And there was a group that came from England called the monkeys. Why would anybody name the, themselves the monkeys? Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we monkey around. We're too busy singing to put anybody down. I will not torture you with the second verse. But when the monkeys came to America, some of their parents came with them. And Mike, the guy that always wore the toboggan, his mom created, invented, patented an incredible product called liquid paper. Liquid paper. And what was so cool, as you're typing away, if you make a mistake, you don't have to throw, up, throw your paper out. You take that little, that little lid off, take that little brush, and you roll it up, and you, you, you cover up that mistake, and you blow on it and then you move it back down, and you type it, and nobody ever knows you messed up. How cool is that? Now, I'm not sure she's still alive, but if I ever meet her, I'm going to kiss her right on the mouth because, I mean, she made, she made life very comfortable for me. When I think about liquid paper, and when I think about what liquid paper does, Somehow I'm reminded of the story in the first chapter of John 
where, where John the Baptist had been preaching and had been ministering, and then he, he met his cousin, and, and he makes a statement very, very interesting about his cousin. He, he baptizes his cousin. The Bible says a voice comes from heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and God, God speaks. But a few days later, as John looks and sees his cousin in the first chapter of John, he makes a statement, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. What a statement. Behold, a revelation, the Lamb of God. And as John begins to talk about a sacrificial lamb, our, our heart is reminded of hundreds of years ago, before Calvary, before the turn of the century, we know that in the Israeli nation, if you committed a sin, you went and purchased a sacrifice. And you went and purchased a lamb, and you made sure the lamb was without spot, without blemish. You made sure the lamb was clean, and then you carried the lamb to the high priest. The high priest never looked at you, never examined you, never questioned you. He examined the lamb. And if the lamb was without spot, without blemish, if the lamb was clean and precious, he would take the lamb over to the altar, lay it down, and then take a knife and cut the lamb's throat. And when the blood of that lamb hit the altar, whatever sin you had committed, it was forgiven. That was the law of that day. Now, if you messed up the next day, the very same sin, and went and got another lamb, and went back into the presence of the high priest, he would not question you. Weren't you here yesterday? Did, did, didn't, didn't we go through this day before? No, he doesn't, he doesn't ask you anything. He just examines the lamb. And if the lamb is without spot or without blemish, the high priest carries it to the altar, cuts its throat, the blood is shed, and you are forgiven. As I come here to 2010 and I'm reminded of the mistakes and failures that I make consistently, repeatedly, hello, perfect practice, a practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. I have perfected some of my mistakes. Can anybody relate? I do it wrong all the time. Yesterday evening, I'm coming, I'm coming back from Taco Bell. I got Christine in the front seat of the truck, and I don't know what this girl's problem was, but she honked at me and flipped me off. Well, I immediately got an attitude, and I rolled down my window. I caught up with her, and I said, do you enjoy flipping children off? And she said, I didn't flip her off, and she flipped me off again. And it was like, it was like the spirit of something came all over me. But, but I knew I had little eyes watching, so I did not cuss. I did not say the, any of the words. I just said, you're an idiot. And a little boyfriend, probably on crack, so skinny, he, he sunk underneath the dash. Probably a good thing, because I'd have probably pulled over and got whipped. But you'd think I would be able to control that anger or that, can anybody relate? So it's not some new cool temptation the enemy thinks up, but it's the ones that he has always used against me. Sometimes it gets frustrated, and sometimes when you go before God, it's like you're reminded of all the guilt and all the shame and all the, all the regret and all the remorse, and it's like, God, how do you keep forgiving me? How do you keep cleansing me? And God tells us in Isaiah 43 and 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions, for my own sake and will not remember your sin wait a minute i grew up as a child singing my god can do anything 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 and i i have learned that god can do anything except build a rock too big for him to pick up i mean i realize there's some balance there never mind can god build a rock so big that he can't pick it up well what a question the question I want to answer is, how does he keep forgiving, cleansing, healing? He tells us, I blot out your mistakes. And I think about the blood of the lamb that automatically forgave the sinner no matter what their sin was. Can I tell you this morning, whether we go to God for the first time or for the thousandth time, whether we go to God for a sin or sins we keep repeatedly doing and we're so frustrated. Let me tell you what God does not say. 
God does not say, are you a member of the Baptist church? Do you pay your tithe? Have you done the Eucharist? Does your grandmother pray? Is your name on the foundation stones of the giving of the sanctuary? No. God does not ask any of those questions. You know what God says? Excuse me. Uh, whose authority did you say that you came in? By what right do you stand before my presence? And you know what we say? We say, God, behold the lamb. God, examine the lamb. And God, if the lamb is worthy, if the lamb is well spot without blemish, then we come to your presence on account of the lamb. May I tell you today, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world is worthy. Without spot, without blemish, he laid down his life. He shed his blood for us. So that we can go into the presence of God with the liquid paper of the blood of Jesus, with the promise of, I have separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. I put them in a great big lake, and I put a sign up that says, no fishing. And when you remind God of your failures, when you remind God of your mistakes, God said, excuse me, I don't remember that. We've already been to court. It's already been decided. See, the accuser of the brethren will try his best to get evidence of the past to use against you. Sometimes he'll use lifelong friends to get that evidence. Sometimes he'll, sometimes he'll, he'll talk to loved ones and, and, and relatives. But he will try his best to present a case. And he will take all the evidence, all the criminal facts, all the things that you did in your past, and he will take it before the judge of eternity. And there we stand, the accused of the brethren making all these accusations against us, and supposedly he's got a file full of evidence where there's not an attorney in this world that can defend me effectively against the enemy. I cannot afford to purchase and hire an attorney that can represent me. Therefore, a public defender has been assigned to me. He ever liveth in the foundations of heaven, making intercession. And my lawyer, Jesus, looks at the devil and says, I want to behold the evidence. I want to investigate the evidence. And the devil has to give it to Jesus. And Jesus takes it and does something with it. He puts it up against his, his, his bosom. And then when he hands it to the, the devil, the devil gives it to God. God says, devil, I don't know what you're trying to pull. All I see right now is a bunch of stuff covered in blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Bought by the blood, purchased by the blood, forgiven by the blood. All the, all the effects of yesterday have been forgiven. It's, us to, it's up to us now to try to walk through that forgiveness. As I look at a ladder that takes me out of the pit that I'm in to get to where God's at, I, I really be the first rung of that ladder is repentance. Repentance is not sorry you're caught. Repentance is not is not sorry that you can't get you can't get away with it anymore. Repentance is that there's a genuine there's a genuine hurt pain in your heart that you bring to God and say, I am sorry. A lot of people come to church, they receive a little snack, a little tidbit here, a little tidbit there, and they go out, live their life pretty much however they want to live it. God said there's a better way to live your life. And it all has to do with acknowledging you can't do it on your, by yourself. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. So God gives you assistance and God gives you help to live your life. There was a mom that was determined that her baby was not going to go to bed with dirty ears or dirty neck. So every night she got that wash rag out. And I mean, she scrubbed his neck and face and ears something fierce. And every single night, this went on for, for, for months, for years. One night, she came in with that notorious dish rag and looked at her and said, Mom, tonight, couldn't you just dust me off? A lot of people come to the altar, and they just want to be dusted off. And God said, no, a relationship with me is a life-changing relationship. You won't walk the way you walk anymore. You won't talk the way you talk anymore. You won't do some things you, you did anymore. Can I tell you about serving God? It's not a list of don'ts. When I came to God, it wasn't a matter of, you, know, you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't chew, you can't hang with those who do, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's not a matter of that. 
It's a matter of the blessings of God. The promises of God are yea and amen. The mercies of God are new every morning. There are so many good things that God wants you to have when you start walking that fulfilled life with Christ. It's like, it's not that you can't do those things you used to do. You don't want to do those things you used to do. Who wants to smell like an ashtray the rest of their life? Well, that didn't get a whole lot of response, didn't it? Who wants to be bound by drugs and alcohol and perversion the rest of life? Who would want that kind of life? Don't you like going to bed at night saying, Good night, Holy Spirit, keep your hand upon me. And in the morning you get up and say, The Lord is blessing me right now. Woke me up this morning. This is a great day. What can we get into together? How cool is that? So it is an obvious step between you and God and no one else of repentance. It's coming clean. Listen, acknowledging you have a challenge or a problem or a sin is 90% the cure. Many of us want to blame everybody else. Many of us want to say it's everybody else. Paul said, this is something I've got to do. I've got to forget the hurts and pains and successes of yesterday. And I've got to go to the place that God wants me to go. So when we make that repentance, we make that change, then God says the second step of that ladder is restoration. God is a God of restoration. And he said, the years that have been stolen from you, some of us can't remember raising our kids because we were on drugs or in jail. Some of us don't remember being faithful to a wife or being faithful to a husband because the years that we served the enemy, all that was there was destruction and devastation. But God said, consider not the things of old, Don't ponder on the former things. Behold, I will do a new thing in your life. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even dig a river in your desert and pave a road in your wilderness. How cool is that? I will change the conditions of the elements so that you can walk in peace and hope and be healthy. The second step, expect restoration many of you know that i'm restoring a 55 chevy and uh it's it's just about the closing um phases of being restored but i'll tell you something about this chevy this chevy has almost absolutely nothing on it that is stock because stock it had a little 200 to 235 cubic inch uh motor about the size of a of a sewing machine and it didn't have power brakes, didn't have power steering, didn't have air conditioning, didn't have a, Cyr- a Cyrus satellite radio. It's got all that stuff now. And when I get done with that car, and you look at that car, you're going to realize this car in 2010 is better than it was intended in 1955. And that's the way that God works on our behalf. What we thought is good, God said, I'll make it better. God said, whatever, whatever your expectations, I will add to those expectations. I have got a promise in for you. I got plans for you. Good stuff I want to do with you. But some of us are so comfortable in the illustration this morning, so comfortable in our pain. We're so addicted to our pain and so addicted to our sorrow, we don't want to cut it loose. I've been taking power naps this week. And um, Spike, I don't know why his name is Spike. He's, he's not a Spike. He's, he's a pretty mellow, calm dog. But he, he's, a, he's a hugger. He's a toucher. He's a cuddler. And you can't, it doesn't matter what the weather is, if you lay down, he's going he's gonna to lay next to you. And I was resting the other day, and I had my legs crossed, and he'd, he found a place there in my lap and had his little head right there, and he just laying there, and I think he was dreaming. He would jerk every once in a while, and and uh, and I, I said, "How cool! How cool!" Well, um, I wanted to I wanted to get up and do something, but I didn't want to wake him up, and I didn't want to disturb him. So I lay there. Actually, what I really, really needed to do was to visit the bathroom, but because he was there, I didn't want to upset him, didn't want to disturb him, and, and I lay there for minutes in pain because of not wanting to just dis- uh, disrupt him. I believe there are times in our life when God would like to do some things for us, but we're so comfortable and so consistent with our past that we don't want to be interrupted. We don't want to be awakened. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to be pushed. We don't want to be challenged. But I believe that God has a challenge for everyone here today. 
old things are passed away. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, If any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creature. What that literally means, it's a metamorphosis of that ugly cocoon that crushed us and hurt us and wounded us and changed our image when we explode from that cocoon cocoon, and we become that beautiful butterfly. That's the metaphor, the metaphoric process that takes place when we give our, our life to God and submit to him and his word. There is a ladder. It's simply acknowledging, I need you. I, I need you more than I need life. The song says, this is the air I breathe. Better is one day in your courts. God, I need you in my life. I want to, I want to give my heart to you. Then there's an expectation of God is going to work some things out for you that you could never fix. You could never heal. But God begins to move. And the third step, I guess, in, in closing today would be the step of reconsideration. Reconsider what? The mercy and grace of God. Let me tell you an old story in the Bible about grace. God told Abraham to, to select a place, and he was going to give him that place, and going to raise up a nation. Abraham has some challenges with his nephew. Lot did not want the things of God. He wanted other things. And so they parted ways, and Lot began to pursue the things of the world. And that happens a lot in life. Whether we're all raised up in the house of God or we all are family of God, there's a, there's a window in our life that if we're not careful, it's a, it's a moment of rebellion. And we'll try to get out of that nest and we'll get maybe sow some wild oats or, or whatever we want to do. But that's what happened to Lot. And he found himself at the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong thing. And one afternoon, God showed up, talked with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm... I'm going to trash the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and five of the cities. They're, the sin is out of order. They refuse no evangelism. They refuse no word, no move. They're completely anti-Christ, anti-God. I'm going to destroy them. And God knew that he had a nephew and some, and, some, and some nieces there. And Abraham began to negotiate with God. And you know the story that even though Abraham got it down to 50 righteous men, then 10 righteous men, there was not 10 righteous men in the city, but God. On behalf of Abraham, God sent an angel and brought Lot's family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before destruction came upon it. May I tell you my testimony today? I have a praying friend that ever liveth in the mountains of glory, interceding for me. And my friend Jesus right now is talking to God on my behalf. And one day before all hell pours out of, of, on this earth for what? the way they treated Jesus the Son, God is not going to allow me to walk through that hell. But because of my praying friend in heaven, God is going to come to where I am. God's going to take me, and God's going to place me in his presence and in his kingdom forever. Why? Reconsider the grace of God. It really is amazing. Wendy, if you'll come help me just for a minute. If you just remain where you are just for a moment. There was an evangelist that had ministered for the Lord several years of his life. Evangelist slash missionary. Having a tough time. Felt like he'd lost his joy, lost his energy, lost his purpose, frustrated. People didn't seem to care, didn't seem to listen, no one seemed to pay attention. One night, depressed, he fell asleep. In the middle of that night, he had a dream. And he was, found himself in the, the stands of a large baseball game. Stands are filled with thousands of fans. And he looks out on the field and immediately he realizes that it's a game of God against the devil. And the, scorecard, the scoreboard read the devil three, God zero. And he knows it was the bottom of the ninth inning and God's team was at bat. The devil was on the mound, getting ready to throw everything that he had this final inning. As this man watched, the player walked up to the plate. Bat, healthy, lean, strong. First pitch the devil threw. This batter hits it over the shortstop's head and runs the first base. And he passed by this guy he saw on the back of his jersey, Love. A player called Love got on base. 
Next guy walks up to the plate, takes the bat, begins a warm-up swing a little bit, stands before the devil. The devil throws. This player does not strike out, does not attempt to hit the ball, does absolutely nothing, and the devil gets so unnerved, he throws four balls, and the player walks to first base. Love goes to second. The player walked by. The Daniel saw on the back of his jersey, wisdom. Third guy comes up to the plate, swinging two bats. Big, healthy, strong, throws one bat away. Devil winds up, throws the very best pitch he can, he can throw. This great, big, healthy athlete bunts. Love goes to third base. Wisdom goes to second. And as this guy walks towards the, or runs towards the base, the Vagnesees on the back of his jersey, faith. Bases loaded, bottom of the ninth. Winning runs at the plate. Fans are going nuts. Screaming, cheering, shouting. All of a sudden, out of the dugout, walks this tiny, crumpled up, old, weary player carrying the skinniest bat. And he barely makes it to the plate. The van just, and the fans and the, and the stands say, what in the world is the coach doing? We need a cleanup hitter. We need somebody that can knock it out of the park. What, coach, what are you thinking? And a little scrawny old guy walks up to the plate. The devil laughs. Throws the best pitch he has. Strike. Player never took the bat off his shoulder. Just let the ball go by. Devil laughing takes that second pitch. And I mean, he blazes it 110 miles an hour past that batter. Batter just kind of casually stands there, strike two. By now, all the, all the fans are shouting at the coach, take him out. What are you, what are you thinking, coach? What do you think of all, of all the times? You've got to put a winner in, a hitter in. What are you doing? Little skinny batter stood there, and the devil laughing now, out of control, throws what he thinks is his best pitch. And that little skinny guy just takes that bat and just kind of sticks it out there. Hits the ball over the fence. Crowd goes nuts. Love scores. Wisdom scores. Faith scores. And as this old guy walks around the bases, on the back of his jersey, it says, Grace. Van just begins to weep, tore up, realizes it's a spiritual dream, realizes he's going to wake up, realizes he's going to be encouraged. Wilson realizes a presence next to him, and he looks, and there's the Lord. Lord said, I've never forsaken you. I've never forgotten you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. It's not about you. Don't worry that they don't accept what you have to say. Don't worry they don't want to live the life that you showed them my word. You just continue to do what I've called you to do. And he said, thanks, Lord. I really needed to be encouraged today. Really having a tough time. Really having a tough time. And he said, Lord, I, I understand a little bit about the game. I know why. I know why you let off with love. Love never fails. Love never fails. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love will never fail. And God, I know why you sent wisdom, and I know why you didn't, why wisdom walked, because wisdom does not strike back. Wisdom waits her, time, her turn and waits her time. Understand that. And faith, God, I got it right away. If we have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. That's why faith just budded. I understand all that. But God, why risk everything with grace? And the Lord said, love will never fail. And wisdom will take you where you need to be. And faith will move mountains. But it will always be grace that will get you all the way home. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. 
in the next few moments as these altars are are here as the lights are down as a place has been prepared for you at the table of God it takes guts sometimes to acknowledge that you're not where you want to be and you're not doing what you want to do it takes guts to do that it takes guts sometimes to acknowledge it wasn't everybody else that dropped the ball that you drop the ball you take responsibility for your actions yeah a lot of bad stuff has happened to you and a lot of people have hurt you and wounded you but that was then this is now two completely different seasons in your life that was yesterday yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away now it seems as if they're here to stay no they're not there are decisions that you can make today so your yesterdays can no longer haunt you. And as Christiana so effectively put it, yes, we're hurt. Yes, we're wounded. Yes, we're bound. Yes, bad things happen to good people. Yes, things are happening right now in the nation. A woman would strangle her two babies and put them in a trunk of a car and throw them in the river. What is this world coming to? By the same token, the grace of God says, I am where you are. And if you allow me, I'll take you to where I am. And he extends that grace. You don't earn it. You don't pay it. You don't, you don't work it out. You don't go on probation. It's just something that God gives. It's not a free gift. It's worth millions and billions and trillions and zillions of dollars. You can't afford it. So God paid the price, paid in full. The debt settled. The price has been paid that you can walk in his grace. And now it's your decision. You can leave this place just as bound as you were when you came in. You can go tonight, go to bed tonight with the same demons. You can wake up tomorrow and be depressed and frustrated, hurt and wounded. Or you can make a decision now and say, All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Why in the world would he want my trash? Why in the world would he want my garbage? Why in the world would he want my pain and my hurt and my wounds? Why would he want all that? I don't know, but I would gladly trade it for another chance. I'd gladly trade it for a brand new start. Old things passed away. All things become new. I would really like to see that happen in my life. And as you're caught in the moment of this covering and the presence of God is here, I don't know that Jesus ever gave a public altar call. I don't know that Jesus ever had people come to the front and pray the sinner's prayer. Jesus always came to where they were. If they were blind, he went where blind people go. If they were dying, he went where dying people go. And today he's come to where you're at. He's come right to where you're at. Not to better himself or not to not to show off but to say come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden I will give you rest take my yoke upon you take my responsibility I am meek and lowly of heart so he's where you are not better than you but he's feeling your pain he's, he's sharing your, your heart your emotions and he's saying cast all your care on me I care for you I will take your ashes and I'll give you beauty. I'll take your sadness. I'll give you joy. Take a chance on me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I cannot see. So this in you and the Lord. God, I'm here meeting you on your terms. I'm here meeting you on your word. I'm here meeting you on your conditions. My terms, my words, my conditions have got me nowhere but frustrated, hurt, lonely, and abandoned. But today, I want to accept what you have. I want to accept your terms. And I want to give all this junk to you. And I want to give all this garbage to you. And I want to turn all this over to you. And I know I won't work it all out in a day or a week or a month. But I'm going to start today. Today is the first day of this journey. I'm going to get on this path and I'm going to stay on it. Yes, it's going to rain. Yes, there will be hot days. Yes, there will be dry times. Yes, there will be attacks. There will be, there'll be ambush. But I understand all of that. But I'm going to stay on this path because this is the path 
that leads to you. That's where you're at. No one's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's where you're at. I'm not where I need to be with God. And I'm going to get up out of all of my yuck and get up out of all my grunge and get up my, my stuff. And I'm going to walk away from it all. And I'm going to walk towards the cross. That's your desire. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. Father, I acknowledge to you that I am helpless. I acknowledge to you that our music cannot save and our teaching cannot save and our church cannot save. It's all about you. I am expecting you to come. Every hand that was lifted the same way you came to Melinda when she was dead and spoke life to her. I want you to I want you to step into a heart, step into their shoes, step into their spirit. You're not a you're not a you're not a candy coated God. You're not a once upon a time where all things go miraculous. That, that that's not you. You're telling us that's not you. But you're telling us that there is help. There is encouragement. There is enrichment. There's refreshment. There's meat. And we want to be a part of that. Come right now. We acknowledge that we have sinned and probably will continue to sin and make mistakes. We acknowledge that we fail. We acknowledge that we're hurt. We're, we're wounded. And some of the things we see, we see distorted. But today, the word has been clear. The grace of God has called us to you. You've offered it. It's not something we bartered or bargained, negotiated. You offered it. You paid, you paid the bill in full so that we could eat and we could enjoy. And then we could go and give what we have received. Come into our heart right now. We acknowledge that you're a Lord. We acknowledge that you're God. And like that car that needs gas, we will find a filling station. We will feed this fire. We will, we will feed this hunger. We'll feed this desire to grow and to be what you want us to be in Jesus' name. And they all said...